Okay, uh, today we're starting in the first lesson of uh, the study, which is preparing for the kingdom. Uh, it's also, uh, for me, a preparation for uh, finishing or writing my book, which is called From Rapture to Revelation, which deals with the events of the second coming of Christ, or the second advent of Christ. Um, a couple things to, to kind of start out today is uh, terminology. Sometimes uh, terminologies cause a, uh, a lot of confusion. Um, and we're going to be talking about some of the uh, terminology and some of the things that are coming up in the future in the prophetic realm. Uh, and one of those that I think is one of the most um, needful understandings is the term the day of the Lord. And so uh, as we look at uh, that term, it will become important as we look at the, the second coming of Christ and all that, that entails. But we just need to be careful in our understanding about terms and how we do things. And even in the term, like we, we talk about Sunday being the Lord's day, um, we have to be careful with that term. Um, the New Testament writers in no way inscribed that the church has a special holy day. Okay? The Jews had a special Sabbath day. And the church was started on Pentecost. The church met on the first day of the week. The church met on the day of the Lord's resurrection, which is a commemoration and a remembrance of that resurrection. But nowhere in Scripture does it inform us as a church to observe a holy day or that Sunday is a holy day. The Sunday was designed or it was uh, started as the day that the church met on the first day of the week, and it has become the, the traditional meeting time. It doesn't mean that the church couldn't meet on another day. Uh, in Romans um, chapter, I think it's 13, when Paul is talking about the... Uh, issues of conscience. He talks about the weaker brethren and the, and the stronger brethren, and the weaker brethren don't eat certain meat, and the stronger brethren know that they can eat all things. And so there's a difference in, in maturity and in understanding. And he says some observe a day as a special day, and some, un, some understand that every day is all alike. And so there's a conscience issue where if you, if you believe that Sunday is a special day that you need to hold special and that's your conviction, then you need to keep that. But scripturally, there's no, in, in, there's no instruction on that. And even the word Lord's Day is only used in one place, and that's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, when John is on the island of Patmos, and he said, I was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Well, the word there is an adjective. It doesn't mean it was a specific day. It could have been Sunday, but it doesn't necessarily mean it had to be Sunday. It just meant that he was, in, he was filled with the Lord's presence on that day where he got this revelation to give us in the book of Revelation. So there's no scriptural command that we observe Sunday as a special holy day. That's all I'm saying. So we just need to be careful scripturally that we don't infuse things just because tradition has done that. I mean, the Catholic Church believed that Sunday was a special Sabbath day for the church like Saturday was a special Sabbath day for Israel because the Catholic Church pretty much taught and believed that the church had replaced Israel and now the church was a covenant people of God and therefore they had to have a, a temple sanctuary, they had to have priests offer sacrifices, they had to have a special holy day. And so that transferred into the Puritan church and he, uh, into the Reformed church and even into the Puritan church that Sunday had to be observed as a holy Sabbath day. And, but scripturally, when you look at that, and that's what we try to establish in our introduction to this section or this lesson, is that 
We need to be careful that we interpret Scripture consistently throughout the Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture and come to an understanding of what the truth of God is because of Scripture. Now, the term, the day of the Lord, is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and as we're going to go through some verses today that I hope will help point this out, the Jews misunderstood or disregarded Scripture on two subjects about the Messiah. Okay? There's two areas that they just completely disregarded what was recorded, obviously, in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. The first one is in Isaiah 53, that the Messiah was going to die for their sins. They, they just completely disregard that concept that they needed a Savior because the Pharisees taught that they were righteous people, that they didn't need a Savior, they just need to keep the commandments and obey the commandments and, and that they were righteous. They're the people of God. They're, they're special. They're chosen. And so they weren't looking for a Savior. They were looking for a king. Okay? Now the second observation that they, that they totally disregard throughout the Old Testament is that they believed that the day of the Lord, or the day of the Lord's coming, or the day of the Lord's presence, was going to be a glorious day. It was going to be a prosperous day. It was going to be a blessing day. It was going to be the millennial kingdom time. It was going to be a time of joy and, and celebration. And they completely disregarded all of the passages in the Old Testament where it said the day of the Lord is going to be a day of darkness and gloom and calamity, a day of Jacob's trouble when they're going to be gone through all kind of tribulation. So the truth of the Old Testament is there is coming a day of glory, a day of the Messianic kingdom, a day of, of, of restoration and joy and peace and salvation. But prior to that, there's going to be a time of intense persecution, and trouble for Israel. And so when we look at the day of the Lord, and I'll just give you a quick overview. The day of the Lord will come suddenly upon the world at the end of this age. Now this age is the time between the two advents of Christ. So when Christ ascended into heaven and then he sent the Holy Spirit down at Pentecost, we began what we call the church age. It's when God is calling out his special people called the church, the bride of Christ. And we are God's spiritual people on earth, not God's physical people on earth, in the sense that we don't have a nation. We don't have a land. We don't have a covenant. We're not a covenant people of God. We are God's bride, God's, God's body, his church to function throughout this age in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing people to salvation and bringing people into the concept or the position of being part of the bride of Christ, the church. And when that church is completed, it's a set number. God has an elect number that goes into church. He has an elect number of saints forever. And part of those saints are going to be elect for the being in the bride of Christ. And when that number is complete, according to Romans chapter 9, when the full, or 11, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, or the fullness of that church, or the complete number of the church comes in, then God's going to turn his attention back to Israel. But the day of the Lord involves not just the second coming of Christ, and the second coming of Christ has different aspects. In John chapter 14, when Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away and prepare a place for you, but I'm coming again to receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So he's talking about taking his church bride back to his father's house that he's preparing for them. That's where he is. 
He's at his father's house. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, when it says that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ, bring with him where? Back to his father's house. So he's talking about the coming of the Lord in regards to his bride. So there's three aspects of the coming of the Lord. He's coming for his bride, and he's going to meet them in the air, and he's going to take them back to his father's house. Then he's going to come in judgment, according to 2 Peter chapter 2, when the scoffers are saying, where is the promise of his coming? And, it, 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 and they fail to remember that God has already judged the world with a flood, and so that God is now going to judge the world with fire. He, they, they, it slips their notice, or they just misunderstand, that God is going to judge the world. And these are scoffers that are saying, He's not coming to judge us. So there's going to be a coming of the Lord for His bride. There's going to be a coming of the Lord in judgment and his wrath being poured out upon this earth and then there is the coming of the lord speaking of in acts when the angels are just talking to disciples the same jesus that you saw go up in heaven is going to come in like manner down to the earth and he's going to come back like it says in revelation 19 as the king of kings lord of lords you every eye is going to see him he's going to come all the way from heaven in a visible form at the revelation of jesus christ when he is revealed in his all of his glory in his glorified body in his glorified state he's going to be seen in that glory he's going to come down to this earth and he's going to sit on his on david's throne and rule for a thousand years so that's also part of the second coming so the second coming or the second advent of christ is these three aspects of his coming for his bride, he's coming in judgment upon the world, and then he's coming to set up his kingdom for Israel and, and for the rest of the world. He's going to be king of the whole world. So the second advent is basically from the rapture of the church to the revelation of Christ when he sets up the kingdom, and then the day of the Lord is from the rapture of the, of the church to the end of the millennial kingdom when then he destroys this earth with fervent heat and it's melted and he creates the new heaven and earth. So the day of the Lord would become suddenly upon the earth, and we'll see that here in a few minutes as we read some passages to give you understanding and background on this thing. The, the Lord's going to come back suddenly for His church, and then that begins the day of the Lord. And then the Antichrist that is going to be come to power or going to come to, uh, to be identified is going to sign a treaty or a covenant with Israel for seven years to... Uh, allow them to have their temple sacrifices, but he's going to use this time to persecute the Jews, persecute the, the Christians that are born again during that time until Christ comes back and destroys the times of the Gentiles. Or the, so, so we're going to be looking at all those aspects of the second advent, but I just want to give you some background information about the difference between the day of the Lord and the second advent and, and things that we need to keep mindful of. Okay, so the Lord's coming back for this, His bride. He's coming back to judge the world. And He's coming back to earth to set up His kingdom. Okay, so today's lesson, as we start out the first lesson, is focusing on God's promises and fulfillments to the Jewish people that He has coveted with from Abraham through David and through the prophecies and the promises of the Old Testament, what He's going to accomplish in Israel. Now, in the introduction sessions and the two weeks we have already spent on this, we talked about the reality of the millennial kingdom. There is coming a kingdom on earth. And we read scripture after scripture after scripture to give basis for that. And we talked about the fact that when you read scripture in the Old Testament, you have to interpret it the same way you interpret all of scripture. Who was God writing to? What was he saying? And how do you understand, how do they understand what he said? 
when we have the New Testament, it doesn't change the understanding or the interpretation of the Old Testament. It adds clarity to it, but it never goes back and changes what God intended, what God meant. So when God spoke to Israel in a literal way, in a very understandable way, he meant what he said, and he's going to fulfill exactly what he said he's going to do. Okay? So in regard to the fact that um, Israel is looking for a kingdom and looking for a time of restoration and blessing, they forget or they don't understand, they don't read, they, don't, they ignore the passages that talk about before that happens there's going to be a time that they're going to go through extreme persecution. So I'm going to go back into Jeremiah and I want to read some passages, and I'm trying to slow down for you guys. I've been told, slow down, slow down. I'm going to try to slow down. If I don't get through everything today, we'll pick it up next week. And if you have questions, I want to make sure you stop me and say, wait a minute, I don't understand that. Make sure you understand it. I'm going to read some passages, and I'm going to take the time to do that so that you see from Scripture that this is exactly what God was giving them and promising them when he laid some of this stuff out. Okay, let's start with Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30 and Jeremiah chapter 31 are in contextual together, uh, and it, it gives a lot of information about what's to come for Israel and what's promised. But let's just start and read down from verse 1 to verse 9, and then we'll skip over and read a few more verses. In verse 1 it says in Jeremiah 30, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Now he turns and he talks about before he restores them, there's going to be some trouble. Verse 5, For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see, if a, male, if a male can give birth, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. And it shall, be, it shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their necks and will tear off their bonds, and, and strangers no, shall no longer make them their slaves. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So again, in the midst of him talking about the restoration of Israel, he talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, the distress that's coming upon them. Now look in verse 22, again, looking to the future, I, Jeremiah 30, 22, And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the tempest of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a sweeping tempest. It will burst on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed, until he has accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days you will understand this. Chapter 31, verse 1, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. So again, he talks about the coming of the restoration of Israel. Now in verse 31, verse, uh, chapter 27, he says, 
Behold, days are coming. Now, this is after the time of trouble, after the time of, at the same time of the time of the trouble, at the end of that trouble. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast, and it will come about as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and to bring disaster. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats, who eats his, the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their, their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now here he's talking about the new covenant. Now we talked about in our introduction that the new covenant is not for the church. The new covenant is for Israel and it will not be enacted until the time that Christ comes again to save Israel. That's what Romans 11 25 and 26 talks about that it's after the fullness of Gentiles comes in that, that the Lord will then save all of Israel and I will enter into a covenant with them at that time and take away their sins. So Israel will come to a point after the tribulation to declare, to, to call upon the name of the Lord, and they will be saved, the whole, all of them, and then they will uh, enter into the kingdom age, the ones that survive the tribulation. Now in Zechariah 13, it talks about this time of testing and the time of tribulation in which two-thirds of all Israel will die. So if you go to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perished, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and, and I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So after the time of testing, after the tribulation time that's coming upon the earth, the time of persecution and time of Jacob's trouble, and when we get into the time, we go through the events of the tribulation, we'll see that the second half of the tribulation, Satan's complete intent is to destroy all of Israel. And that's the time of Jacob's trouble when two-thirds of them will die. Then after that, they will call upon the name of the Lord. They will all be saved. All the ones that survived the tribulation will be saved. And they will all enter into the kingdom age in a physical state, but a saved state. And they will be indwelled by the Holy Spirit at that time. Now, to, to give you an understanding of how the Jews look upon the coming of Christ and the setting up of the kingdom, and they think about it in terms of only the time of blessing, in, in Amos, in Amos chapter 5, Verse 18, I'll just read this verse, you know, I'll turn there. Amos declares, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord. So if they're longing for the day of the Lord, what do they believe about the day of the Lord? It's going to be good. It's, it's, the, it's the Messiah. It's the reign of the Messiah. It's the time of prosperity and blessing that have been promised. That's what, if you ask Jews today, what are they waiting for? 
They're waiting on the Messiah to, to, to conquer their enemies and to set up their kingdom. That's going to be a time when they're going to turn their swords into plowshares. It's going to be a time of peace and prosperity. And he's going to take care of them and be king over the whole world. And everything's going to be perfect. And that's what's promised. And that's what they're looking for. And he says, Amos says, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will be the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. In other words, you who are longing for the day of the Lord to bring in the time. Just like the people of Israel in Jesus' day when he came and presented himself as their king and as their Messiah, they wanted him to take care of Rome. They wanted him to be a strong warrior to rid them of Rome and bring them out of bondage to Rome. And they were looking for a, a, a Messiah to bring in peace and prosperity and give them all that they needed instead of needing a Savior. And now, after the Savior's come and died for them and given them eternal salvation if they accept Him as their Lord and Savior, now they're still looking for that Deliverer to come and bring in peace. And so Amos says, alas, you who are longing for that day, you don't understand. It's going to be a day of judgment and tribulation. Okay, so now the disciples are Jews, and they understood that. And so they're, they're in this mindset of, of trying to understand the timing and when all these things are going to take place that Jesus is supposed to fulfill from the Old Testament. And so at the time of his ascension in Acts chapter 1, when he's going to be, he's going fixing to ascend back into heaven, and this is after they, they've been told the other stuff that they didn't really understand a lot of it. But anyway, in this, in this verse in Acts chapter 1, so he's fixing to go, he tells them they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now in verse 5. And then verse 6 he says, And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Okay, he came and he died for their sins. He was resurrected from the dead. And now he is alive in a glorified body, in a, in a body that's been resurrected body. And they're saying, okay, now, you're ready to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. And again, they completely disregard the prophecies about the time of Israel's judgment. In fact, they completely disregard what Jesus said in Matthew 23. At the end of Matthew 20, I mean, yeah, Matthew 23, at the end of that passage, after he has excoriated the Pharisees and condemned them for being hypocrites, he gets to the end of that passage and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Chapter 23, verse 37. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left unto you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. So Israel as a nation, as a people, are going to, in their entirety, of those that are living at that time, are have to going to call upon Jesus as their Messiah and King and believe and trust that He is the Son of God. Until that happens, Jesus is not coming back. They will not see Him again until they acknowledge that He is the Lord God, their Messiah. And so the disciples said, is it now? Is it now time? Have the Jews changed? Have they repented? They just crucified Him. They haven't changed anything. So they've ignored the passage there. So there's two passages I want to go through real quickly, and then I want to, I want to get to Daniel if we can today. today. But, but if we don't, we don't. Let's go to Matthew 
chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21 because I think it's very important that you understand these two passages together so that you can understand the scriptures as you compare scripture to scripture and how it fits with the second advent of Christ. Luke 21 and Matthew 24. If you can hold both places, we're going to be going back and forth. Okay, at the beginning of this chapter, the disciples asked Jesus two questions. You can say three, but it's really, in essence, two questions. So they're coming out from the temple compound, and Jesus, in verse 20, chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 1, and Jesus came out from the temple and was going away with his disciples. When his disciples came to, the, to point out the temple buildings to him, and he answered and said to them, Do you see, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, the destruction of the temple? And then he says, and then they say, And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So there's two things they're asking about. is the destruction of the temple and your coming again at the end of the age. Or what is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Okay, remember that. There's two things he's asking. One is, when will be the destruction of the temple, and what will be the sign that we're at the end of the age? That's basically what they're asking. Now, if you go to Luke's passage, in Luke 21, similar passage, dealing with the same subject. In verse 5 of Luke chapter 21, And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another, that which will not be torn down. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And so basically they say the same thing. When were these going to happen? And now they say, what is the sign that both of these events are going to take place? So there's a sign coming for both events the tearing down the temple, and the end of the age. Now, what are, what, when are these going to take place, and what's the sign that these are going to take place? Okay? So that's the two questions that they're going to be asked and that Jesus is going to answer in this passage in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21. So let's just bear with me now. So he starts out by disregarding the temple question first. So let's just disregard it first, and we start out with what he's saying about the end of the age. So in Matthew 24, he says, in verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, and saying, I am Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom in various places. It, there will be famine and earthquakes, and, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole, wor er, whole world for witness to all the nations. Then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let him who is on the housetop not go to, the, to the, get the things out of, that are in, in his house and let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak, but woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babies in those days, but pray that your flight not, may not be in the winter nor on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not 
been occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, these days will, or those days will be cut short. Okay, so here he talks about the time of judgment that precedes the kingdom. So everything in this passage is dealing with that time of judgment. So when he says that the gospel kingdom will be preached to the whole world, he's not talking about now. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about during this time. During this time of when this birth pangs begin until the end of that time of tribulation. So when he's talking about that, and when he's talking about the, the one that endures to the end, he's talking about the Jews that make it to the end of that time alive will go into the millennial kingdom and they will be saved. Physically and spiritually. But this is not a passage that you read and you pull out for us in the church. This is in the context he's talking about at this specific time that he's talking about. So let's go to the Luke passage and it gives a little bit more indication, understanding about this thing. He says in Luke chapter 21, in verse, um, verse 8, See to it that you may, not be, you may not be misled, for many will come to my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and disturbance, do not be terrified, for these things must take place, but the end does not immediately follow. Then he continues by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues, famines, and there will be terrors and great signs in heaven. We're not seeing that yet. That's for when we begin the tribulation. You'll see terrors in heaven and great signs in heaven when the tribulation begins. We get into Revelation, into the events of the tribulation, we'll see those terrible signs that begin, okay? But now look at the next verse. In, in Luke chapter 21, he goes to the beginning of understanding about the tribulation time, and then he says in verse 12, but before all these things, in other words, but before the time of the tribulation judgment that's coming prior to the kingdom age, before all these things, they will lay hands on you and will persecute, delivering you to the synagogues and prison, bringing you before kings and governors. And from my name, it will, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and brothers and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all account on my name. And yet not a hair of your head will perish, but your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies... All right, now he's talking about what is coming prior to the time of tribulation. There's going to be some things that happen. One is the destruction of Jerusalem. He didn't deal with it in Matthew, but he's going to deal with it in Luke. And just like he said in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation. Now, when is that? When is that occurring in the, in the, in the passage there, in the context? At the middle of the seven-year tribulation is when you see the abomination of desolation. So the Jews that are living in the tribulation, when they see the abomination of desolation, they're commanded to flee, to get out of Jerusalem, because they're going to get killed if they don't. But now in Luke, he's gone back before that happens, before the tribulation, before all these things, the tribulation things are happening, here's some information about the time of the temple destruction of Jerusalem. And when was the temple destroyed? 70 A.D. By who? The Romans. Okay, so here it says, 
Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of the city de depart, and let not those who are in this country enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are with child, and to those who are, has, have nursed babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land, and wrath to the people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. You see the correlation or the similarities? There's a sign during the tribulation that the time of Jacob's trouble is about to be embarked upon because when the Antichrist comes in the temple and desecrates the temple in the tribulation time and creates the abomination of desolation, which we'll get to in just a minute when we go to Daniel. When that happens, you're at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, and at that point, Satan is kicked out of heaven, as we'll see in, in Revelation chapter 12. He's kicked out of heaven, and he is kicked down to the earth, and his whole intent from that point on at the middle of the tribulation is to wipe out Israel. And so the, the, the exhortation to the Jews in the tribulation is to get out of Jerusalem, get out of the land, flee, because you're going to be killed. Here, the, the exhortation is, when you see the armies surrounding the city... So if you go back in history, what happened in 68 A.D.? In 68 A.D., Titus and the Roman armies came and besieged the city of Jerusalem. They didn't have enough supplies to continue the siege until it had the effect. They withdrew, and when they withdrew, the Christians that were in the city fled because they understood. They had the Scriptures. The Jews did not. They didn't believe in the New Testament Scriptures. And so in 70 AD, they came back, and they not only besieged the city, they came in and wiped it out, destroyed it. Millions of Jews were killed. The temple was destroyed completely. They burnt the temple, and they got the gold that, that flowed in the cracks of the temple. That's why they tore all the stones apart, to get the gold that was in between the stones that had melted in when they burnt the temple. So all these things happened in 70 AD that, in, that is here between, between verses 12 when it says, but before all these things, before the time of tribulation, and chapter in verse 24 when it says Israel's going to be dis distributed, taken captive all over the world. And that's what happened. Israel was scattered all over the world until 1948. And then they started coming back. And they, they had a land again, preparing for the next time that Israel's going to be in the land to enter into a time of of uh, persecution by the, by the Antichrist. Okay, now I want to finish this real quickly because I want you to understand this. All right, in both in Matthew and in Luke passage, after he does the time of the abomination, then he goes into the, the completion of all things, basically. He starts out by, in, verse, in chapter 24, Matthew, um, verse 23, if anyone says to you, behold, there is Christ, he goes on down there, false Christ will arise. Uh, then he says... Uh, in verse 27, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, even so shall the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about now the second coming to earth. Now, whatever, where the corpse is there, the vultures will gather, speaking of uh, the judgment upon the peoples that are going to be killed. And then verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with sky, with, of the sky with great power and glory, and he will send forth his angels uh, with a great trumpet, and they shall gather together in his, his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Okay, so he gives a complete summary of the tribulation. 
And then he says, now learn the parable. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So here he's giving an analogy. So when you see a fig tree and it has leaves starting to come out, you know that it's springtime and summer is around the corner. Okay, that's the analogy. It's just a common sense example. Okay, so then he says, even so you too, when you see all these things, what things are you talking about? What he just said. You see the terrors in the sky. You see all this stuff happening. You see, you see the beginnings of this time of trouble, this, all the tribulation aspects. When you see those things, know that he is coming. He's right at the, end of the door because at the end of those seven years of those signs of the birth pangs, he's coming back. So truly, <coughs> recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So what generation are you talking about? The generation that sees the signs. So if, you're, if you see the tribulation as a Jew unfolding before your eyes, know that it's coming to an end quickly in seven years. Know that it's going to come to an end. And heaven and earth may pass away, but these words will not pass away. And over every one of these words will come to fruition, and this will happen. So he ends the passage Dealing with the tribulation, with that word, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Okay? Now go back to Luke in chapter 21. And again, he goes through the same litany of the tribulation thing. In verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, the stars, upon the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity, in the roaring of the sea, in the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when they see these things, they begin to take place. It's a, so he's talking about people that are living at the time. And it says, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. So he's talking to the Jews that are living at the time. When you see these things taking place, straighten up. Understand. Hear what's being, prof prof what's being prophesied or told or preached by the 144,000 Jews at that time. Hear the words that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. Repent and call upon the name of the Lord, and He will come back. It's not until, he, until they repent and acknowledge Him as their Lord that He's not coming back. So they've got to come to a point of repentance. And we'll see that that's going to happen. But then He goes and tells the parable of the fig tree again. And then He goes down there and says... Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away, this is verse 32, until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he finishes his section on the tribulation that's coming. And now he turns back to those that are living prior to the beginning of the tribulation. Because he goes, go back to Matthew 24. And he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Now, when he goes back to the days of Noah, what was coming in the days of Noah? Judgment. What's coming in the future now? Judgment. So he's not talking about the specific coming of the Lord to the earth. He's talking about the beginning of the second advent of Christ, which begins with the coming for the bride. Then it, his, he's coming in judgment with the, on the world, and then he's coming to save Israel and set up the kingdom. So when he's talking about the coming of the Lord here, he's not speaking of one specific area of that coming he's speaking of the beginning of the coming 
Okay, the beginning of the day of the Lord, the beginning of the second advent. So when no one knows the day of the hour when that second advent starts to begin. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And, it, and he ties it to the, the judgment of the flood. For just like in the days, uh, the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like it was in the days of Noah. For as in those days they were eating before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking, they were marrying, giving marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood took came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field, one shall be taken and one will be left. Two women be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. This is not talking about the rapture, it's talking about the judgment. What happened in the judgment of the flood? How many died? All. They were all taken away. Everyone that wasn't on the ark were taken away in judgment. They were, they, they were killed. In the tribulation, how many people are going to die? Not all. About half. Because it says in, in, the first, uh, in the first seal of judgment, a fourth of the population are killed by the wars, the pestilence, the disease, the famines, the wild animals. And then in, in the trumpet judgments, a third are killed by the demonic invasion. A third that's left, I guess. So anyway, at least half the world's population is going to die. So that's why it says there will be two in the field. One will be taken in judgment and killed, and one will be left to go to the end of the age, to the end of the tribulation, and then they will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment of the sheep and goats, and the righteous Gentiles will go into the kingdom in their physical bodies. The unrighteous Gentiles will die at that time. But during the judgment of the tribulation, about half the world's population will be killed. But this is not talking about the rapture here. He's talking about the judgment. He's, talking, he's comparing this judgment with the judgment of the flood. And in this judgment, only half the world's population will die, whereas in the first judgment, all that. Now go to the passage in Luke. Immediately after that same verse, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then turning his attention to those that are living at the time of the beginning of the judgment, at the time of the beginning of the second advent, he says, be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with the dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, that that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. <coughs> but keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What strength is he talking about to, 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 to escape all these things? He's talking about salvation. Having the strength of God in you as in Christ, those who are born again in Christ that are filled with the Spirit of God will not go through this tribulation. They will stand before the Son of Man. Now, what, when are we going to stand before the Son of Man? The judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ. When we are resurrected at the rapture, we go to heaven and we give an account for how well we were used as His instruments on earth during the church age as our giftedness is going to be tested were you faithful to allow the Spirit of God to use you in the way He purposed to use you? And your works or your service is going to be judged to whether it was beneficial, whether it was worthy, or whether it was worthless. You're not going to be judged for sins of judgment of Christ. You're going to be judged for your service and your ministry in the church. Would have so is is ministry that wasn't gifted by the Spirit of God. It's not that it was bad. It's just it wasn't gifted, and so it didn't have the it didn't have it didn't accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish because it wasn't of the Spirit of God. Oh, that's back to Luke. Luke chapter twenty-one verses 
uh, 20, uh, 34 through 36. <laughs> okay, so now, uh, one other passage. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll get to this passage in detail when we get to God's purpose for the church, but we'll just mention it now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, after... Paul has given his exhortation on the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, talking about those. The, the concern they had was that people that died before the, the coming of the Lord would miss out on the rapture and re, in the resurrection. And so he's given them assurance that that won't happen. And so therefore comfort one another with these words in verse 18. Then he goes to chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Now as to the time and the season, you have no need of anything to be written to you. That's just what Jesus said to the apostles in Acts chapter 1. When he said, you have no need to be concerned about the timing. Because it's only God has that information of when the second advent is going to begin. Just like he said, it's not for you to know, in Acts chapter 1 verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here in chapter 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1, Now as to the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you know yourselves full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. In other words, in verse 10 it says, or verse 9 it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about spiritual salvation. He's talking about deliverance from the time of tribulation and wrath because God has not destined the church for that. We're not those that are in darkness that are going to go into the time of judgment. We are those who are in light. And therefore, the day of the Lord will come suddenly while they are saying, just like they did in the days of Noah, life will go on like it always will. There's no reason to be concerned. There's no judgment coming. So the day of the Lord will come suddenly. Now the suddenly is what event? What event occurs suddenly with no warning? The rapture. And that begins the second advent. And that begins the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come suddenly. When the rapture takes place, all those who are not raptured are in the day of the Lord, are in the time of tribulation. And that's why when in the, you, you get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when the, the Thessalonian church has been told by someone, or a letter, Paul says, that they are in the day of the Lord. They are already in the judgment. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of, righteousness, of lawlessness is revealed. So you cannot be in the day of the Lord or in the judgment time or in the tribulation time unless there has been a complete apostasy of the church, which means everyone that's not of the true church that's raptured will apostatize and turn away from Christ and go with the Antichrist message. Or the Antichrist himself will be revealed, and he will be revealed as the one who opposes Christ in every way. And the church that's left behind will oppose Christ with the Antichrist, and that will be the apostasy. Okay, any questions real quick? I went through a lot, but... That's a slow version. <laughs> We could get we could get faster. Yes. 
Okay. We won't get through this passage, but I want to introduce you to this passage in Daniel. So go to Daniel. Now we're looking at this from this perspective of how the second advent and the promises of God are going to affect Israel. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Gentile kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, maybe in the next week or two. And then we'll talk about the promises to the church and how that's affected by the second advent. But now we're still talking about Israel. Now in Daniel chapter 9, and I don't have time to, to go through all this, but I'm going to introduce it to you and then we'll, we'll break it down slowly next week. In Daniel chapter 9. All right, here's the situation. Daniel is still in the area of Babylon. He's not under Nebuchadnezzar anymore. He's not under the Babylonians anymore. He's now under the Persians. Um, in, verse nine, in verse 1 it says, in the, in the first year of Darius, the son of Asurus of Medan, descent, of Medan descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which were revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel is contemplating Scripture. Now the Scripture he's contemplating is, is several Scriptures in the Old Testament that deal with this. But in Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah wrote... Jeremiah wrote in verse 10 of Jeremiah 25, Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Okay? So the desolations of Jerusalem will be for 70 years. And Daniel is looking at his calendar, and he's looking at these promises, and he knows that the time of the 70-year completion is being fulfilled. Now, we'll come back to this when we look at the judgment of the Gentiles and the judgment of the Babylonians, but just to mention it while we're here, in verse 12 it says, Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. That hasn't happened yet. Babylon has not made, been made an everlasting desolation yet. So there is a correlation between the 70 years here and the 77s of years that he's fixing to give to Daniel as we go through chapter 9. So Daniel is praying. He is praying. He says in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 9, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, whose covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So he's, he's, he's telling God, you're a covenant-keeping God. You keep your promises. You've already promised that it's 70 years. I'm just reminding you, and I'm confessing sins for the, for the nation. So he's praying as an intercessor for the nations so that God will be able to fulfill what he promised. And so anyway, so in verse 20, as we go through, he's still praying. He says in verse 19, Lord, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen, and take, a, take action for thine own sake. In other words, for your own credibility, you promised this, you need to take action. 
So in verse 20, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God and on behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weirdness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. And here's the vision. Here's the message. Seventy sevens, or seventy weeks, seventy sevens, have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree... <laughs> To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Okay, so here you have the angel telling Daniel there's going to be 77s of years, 490 years, in which God is going to use to fulfill all of the promises that he made to Israel. To Abraham to David, to all the prophecies. In other words, he is going to use these 490 years to finish the transgression. Now, when did that happen? When Christ died on the cross, right? He, I mean, he died for sin. I, I, to make an end of sin. So that's when he made an end of sin at the cross. To make atonement for iniquity. That's, that's been, that has already been accomplished. To bring in everlasting righteousness. That hasn't been true to the Jews yet. When he comes back and enters into covenant with them, he will forgive their sins as a nation, and they will enter into everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. That means to complete, fulfill everything that was prophesied for Israel. So everything that's been prophesied for Israel in the Old Testament, and through later with the writings of Jesus and the apostles, everything is going to be fulfilled in these 490 years. All right? So, you know that and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. In, I think it was 544 B.C.? 447, maybe 447. Anyway, I'll get the number. B.C., I think it was Cyrus issued a decree, or no, Artaxerxes issued a decree for them to go and rebuild Jerusalem, the walls. All right, from that point until Jesus came riding down on the donkey on the streets of Jerusalem, and they were saying, Hosanna to the king. Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book. He did all the math. He went through all this by detail using the Jewish calendar. He said, to the day is 483 years to the day when Jesus rode down the road. And they were saying, Hosanna, on Palm Sunday, the, day, the week before the crucifixion. So... The first seven weeks are the 49 years it took to rebuild the city. So if you look at that and you say the, the issue of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem took 49, uh, 49 years. So that's the first seven years. Then there's 62 more years, which is the next however many years to get to 483. The prince will be the Messiah the prince when he was presented as the Messiah. And that leaves one week. There's 69 weeks there. So then it says, then after the 62 weeks, talking about the, six, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. 
So after that fulfillment of the first 483 years, Jesus died on the cross. He was cut off. And have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. So we know that between the 483rd year and the beginning of the 490 year, there's going to be two events. Two events are going to have to take place. The first one is Jesus is going to have to die on the cross. And the second event is, is Jerusalem is going to be destroyed in 70 AD. So we know that there's at least that much time between the 483rd year and the beginning of the 484th year, the last seven years. There's going to be a time. And the people of the prince who is, who is to come will destroy the city. Who, who destroyed the city? So who is the Antichrist going to be a descendant of? Rome. He's going to be the last Roman emperor, the last Roman ruler. So the Roman Empire is going to be the last of the four kingdoms that we're going to study when we get to the times of Gentiles next week. And the Antichrist will be the last of those rulers. He will be the prince that is to come, that's talking about here. And then it says, the, peop the people of the prince who has come will destroy the city and sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be a war, desolations are determined. And he, that last ruler, the prince who is to come, the Roman last ruler, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offers, and on the wing of, of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even the complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So here he is. He's going to enter into a covenant with Israel for seven years, allowing them to have temple worship. Now the rest of the world is going to be following the one world religious system of the harlot described in Romans, I mean in Revelation 17, the false religious system that's put in place at the beginning of the Antichrist, the beginning of the tribulation, in which the, the church, the, the church that is false church that's left behind will ascribe to and reject Christianity and, and ascribe to this one world system. The Jews will be allowed to have their own religion because they've already rejected Jesus. They do not name the name of Christ. And the Antichrist is going to allow them to have, go back to the Old Testament temple worship of sacrificing animals in the temple. That means the temple has to be built between now and the middle of the tribulation. And then at the middle of the tribulation, he's going to come into the temple and create the abomination desolation, which was talked about in Matthew 24, that will occur at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, and that will, that will put a stop to the Jewish sacrificial system, and then the Jews will be fleeing for their lives. So the Word of God, as you compare Scripture with Scripture, is consistently giving us understanding of what it means about preparing for the time of judgment and preparing for the time of the kingdom that's to come. These things have to take place. So next week, we'll pick back up on this, and then we'll turn our attention to the times of the Gentiles. Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 of the four kingdoms starting with Babylon, Babylon and ending with Rome. And then Daniel's vision in chapter 7, dealing with the four animals, the four beasts, beginning again with the lion and ending with the terrible beast that's indescribable. And then the little horn that comes out of that, which is the Antichrist. So we'll talk about Jesus' uh, preparing to allow that Gentile kingdom to, to judge the earth, bring wrath upon the earth until Christ comes and finishes his pouring out his wrath upon that time. So let's stop there, and then we'll pick up next week.